Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on Contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoyed the message. I love you guys. All right, this morning we are jumping back into a series that we've been in for about 20 years called The King and His Kingdom where we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And the purpose with this series is we want to explore and learn as much as we can about the kingdom of heaven and the king that sits on the throne of the kingdom of heaven, that's Jesus. When I say the kingdom of heaven, uh, synonymous with the kingdom of God, what, what I mean by that is I mean the rule and the reign of the creator of the universe. The kingdom of heaven is, is reality where God gets his way. Okay? And, and we as people who have been just graciously and, and mercifully rescued out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven, both now, not fully, but in, in the future completely, like we are people who get to enjoy the beauty and the, re, and, and, and the, and the pleasure of, of experiencing what it looks like when God gets his way. And, and that's what we're talking about. We're learning as much as we can about this. Now, um, something happened to me last night. Last night, um, I experienced a craving on the level that I could not operate self-control over, okay? Recently, my children have introduced me to this breakfast cereal. Um, The brand is Kashi, Kashi, K-A-S-H-I. Does anybody know about this cereal? Raise your hand if you do. Okay. Um, Growing up, I confess to you, I ate a lot of breakfast cereal, okay? And all of it was garbage. Uh, But it tasted incredible. Now there's this new kind of wave of like healthier breakfast cereals. And there's one specifically that is like a waffle flavor of Kashi that my kids introduced me to recently. And it's, it's, it's captured me. It's, it's fully, in, I, I'm, 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 I'm bad. So last night, I haven't had it in a long time. And I just, I felt this craving for this cereal. And I asked Ebony, my wife, I was like, hey, babe, like, where can I find this cereal? And she's like, you know, I think Sprouts has it. So at eight o'clock at night, um, <laughs> I drove to Sprouts and here's the best part, guys. If you would have seen me last night, I was in like full on, I was on a mission. My, my, my stomach gave an order and I'm going to carry out the mission. So I'm in like sweatpants and socks with Birkenstocks and like the full on, like I'm just running to the store vibe. And I walk into the store, I go to the aisle and sure enough, they have it in stock. I'm fired up. Not only do they have it in stock, it's two for $7. <laughs> So guess who came, who walked out of that store with two boxes of this Kashi waffle syrup? And so, and if you would have seen me, I'm sure people made a lot of judgments. I'm literally there in essentially pajamas, and I have two boxes of cereal and a gallon of milk, and that's all I, and I'm just, no bag, just walking straight to my car, getting a fix, you know? 
And so I get home and I, I, mission accomplished. I set out, mission accomplished. I get the cereal, it's delicious. I may or may, I may, or may not have had more than one bowl. Um, and it was a wonderful evening. Now, here's the deal. Apparently, it takes exactly six hours for the sugar to fully hit your system. So at 2.30 in the morning, I wake up from like a dead sleep, and I am like ready to go. I'm wide awake. But here's the, have you ever been in that state where you're like, your mind is just totally alive and awake, and your body is like not? My body's like, it's 2.30 a.m., what are you doing? My mind is like, let's go change the world, okay? And so I'm, I'm laying there, and now I have a new mission. Now my new mission is to get back to sleep because I have to preach in the morning, and I don't want to be a zombie in front of you people, right? And so what happened was I laid there, and I tried to trick myself into falling back asleep. I tried all the tactics, you know, like I counted. I tried to bore myself. I tried just all the things that you can think of when you're laying there in the middle of the night going like, oh, I got to get to sleep. And you ever do that thing where as time progresses, you look at your clock, and you're like, okay, if I fall asleep now, I'll get like three more hours. If I fall asleep now, I'll get two more. I'm doing that. It gets to like 5 a.m., and I'm just like, I, I think I got like 20, 30 minutes of sleep and I failed that mission. Here's the moral of the story. The moral of the story is when your stomach sends you on a mission, it's not always beneficial. But listen to me. Those are silly examples of us as people and the things that we give ourselves to. The things that we try to achieve, the things that we try to accomplish, both big and small, if you really assess your life, there, I would argue there's not a moment in your day-to-day life where you not, you're not on a mission. You're, you're setting out to do something, to achieve something. We're always living on a mission. Today, the reason I bring that up is because today we're going to talk about the mission of God. And, and oftentimes when we think about the mission of God, we think about this big, lofty mission, and, and it, it is big and lofty, but it's also very, very small. It, it also incorporates the moment by moment in your everyday life. And so if you have a Bible, I want to dive in together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. And I want you to think about this as, you, as you're flipping there. I want you to think about your everyday life right? Dozens and dozens of these little missions that you go on. Some of them given orders by your stomach. Some of them given orders by other parts of your flesh. Some of them just your own ambitions and your own desires and your own wants. Big things, small things, everything in between. Getting to work on time, getting to school on time, finishing a project, cooking dinner, enjoying a bowl of cereal, trying to fall asleep. We're always on some type of mission throughout our day, okay? Now, Before we jump into this passage, I feel like I have to ask us the question, if you were to assess your life now, given what you know about the mission of God, would you say, like, I'm actually living on mission, like God's mission? Do you have a clear understanding of what God's mission is? Even, listen, let's just all pride aside, formulate a definition in your mind right now, I'm not going to call on you, of, of how you would define the mission of God. And then from there, ask yourself the question, like, am I living on that mission? 
And no condemnation if you're not. This is, this is about learning. This is about growing. That's what discipleship is. We're going to get more and more into this. But if, if we're not living within a de, with a desire to be aware of our life and how it's operating, what's going on, we're going to miss out on everything that God has for us. And I don't want that for us. So hopefully you found Matthew chapter 10. Before I read the passage, uh, I want to pray. Let's pray together, shall we? Yeah, we just pause for a moment, Father. And we just ask for your help. Life seems to be accelerating. And I think one of the things that I know I have so much to learn about um, living a life led by you on your mission is that oftentimes it requires me to move at a pace that's much slower than I want to. And so I pray for everybody in the room this morning who maybe their pace is um, maybe moving faster than you are, Jesus. We want to follow you. We want to be like you. You're wonderful. You're kind and you're faithful. So teach us, Holy Spirit. Show us Jesus, we pray. In your holy name, amen. Okay, so before I'm going to jump into today's passage, today's passage is, is, is Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through like 5 and a half. Um, but I want to I wanna read the few verses prior to this because it's been a few weeks since we got into this, and I want to just kind of review really quickly, put it in front of you so that we all know what Jesus is up to and what he wants to teach us here. So actually, go, go back to the very end of Matthew chapter 9. I think I gave you guys these verses, Marshall. I, I want to read, I wanna read uh, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38 first, and we'll go jump straight into chapter 10. It says this. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, and healing every disease and every sickness, okay? That's Jesus is demonstrating his, his, his ministry. He's modeling it for his disciples. Verse 36, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd, and then he said to his disciples, check this out, this will, this will sound familiar. He says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Okay, so I want to just paint this picture and then we'll jump into our passage for today. Jesus, he demonstrates his ministry. Okay, he shows everybody what he's all about. He demonstrates his ministry. It's rooted in compassion for, for sinful and broken people like me, like you. If you missed that, this message, I would encourage you to go listen to it. But Jesus, he showcases his ministry right here. It's a, it's a, it's a going ministry. It's a teaching ministry. It's a preaching ministry. It's a healing ministry. It's filled with prayer, right? And then he tells his disciples, he says, guys, there's so much opportunity to bring people out of the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom. He goes, the harvest, it's abundant, guys. He goes, but there's an issue here. The issue is... <laughs> I'm the only one doing the work. So he goes, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send more workers into the harvest. And then what Jesus does is what we're about to read is he commissions his disciples to join him in his mission. 
Like, there's so many implications for today's passage, guys. Think about the kind of leader Jesus is. He's not the go do this leader. He's the come join me leader. Join me. Join me. He wants relationship, and he demonstrates it and models it for you. There's no other leader like Jesus. All right, let's read today's passage here, because I want us to see, I I want us to learn everything that we can about the mission of God here in this passage. Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Jesus then does this. He summons his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every. When it says every, it really, the translation is best every kind of. To drive out and heal every kind of disease and sickness. So nothing's off limits. Nothing. Verse two. And then he goes, these are the names of the 12 apostles. So these are the 12 disciples that Jesus summons to himself. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, verse four, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, Iscariot who also betrayed him. Jesus sent out these 12, and after giving them instructions, we're gonna pause there. We're gonna get into, we'll cover the instructions in the weeks to come. So here's what I want you to see. Jesus, he commissions his disciples to join him in his mission. Um, Last month, I went out to Denver with some of the other uh, lead pastors of the different restored churches. We had some meetings we were doing. And on the flight out there, I downloaded this documentary on my iPad. Uh, It's a Netflix documentary. It's called World War II from the Frontlines. Has anybody seen this? Have you watched it? It's outstanding. Okay. Like, listen, whether you're a history geek or not, like, basically, it's one of these newer documentaries where they take all this old footage of World War II and they remaster it so it's all clear and good and high resolution. They add color to it. And, and uh, from what I understand, this specific documentary has like all this unreleased footage. They, they do a fantastic job with this documentary. I'm watching this and I'm just like enthralled with the reality that like it actually happened. We've been through a lot, I feel like, as a world, as a planet the last few years. But as difficult as it's been, I'm like, it, it's, it's not the same. Like World War II feels like it's a movie. That level of conflict, that level of brokenness, that level of like evil against evil and like sin and war. And I mean, millions and millions of people lost their lives. Like these unbelievably historic cities just bombed to rubble. Like some of the footage, guys, I, I highly recommend you watch this. Some of the footage is just chilling. Like they have all these old recordings of Hitler and the Nazis. And like, I'm actually, I'm, I remember watching um, it on the plane and there's all this like Nazi stuff happening. I'm like, if people are looking at me, they're gonna be making some seriously weird judgments because I'm like seeing these speeches from Hitler. And, but it was, it was wild. And I remember just like, this actually happened. The Holocaust, the brokenness, it was nuts. 
But one of the things that they did remarkably well was they covered different battles, like different like, um, important battles that took place in World War II. And, and, and the way that they would do it is they'd have this footage of like a commanding officer and, and, and not just the video, but the audio. It was just, it was amazing that they had this stuff. And so they show these multiple times that, like, you know, the, the D-Day invasion and, and all these different, like Stalingrad and all these different major battles of World War II. And it would show this commanding officer, right? And the commanding officer, he'd be gathering his troops and they'd literally, they'd give them the mission and you'd hear it. And you're like, this is remarkable. And these are like, these battles like determined the fate, the outcome of this war with so much at stake. It was remarkable. Guys, we just read five verses that are seemingly kind of meh. But you've got to understand what's happening here. This is, this is Jesus, the general of heaven, gathering his troops and giving them their mission. Do you know what the mission is? Let me give you a working definition. What's God's mission? People have a lot of different theories and, and, and philosophies around what's the mission of God. And maybe you have some. And think about them in your brain. I asked you, I already tried to provoke you this morning. The mission of God, is it to plant churches? Yeah, but why? Is it to make disciples? Yeah, but why? Here's God's mission. God's mission is to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. It's war. It's conflicting kingdoms with conflicting kings that have different wills about what they want to see happen. God's mission is to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. It's a war. And with any war, every war has an enemy, right? And up until this point in Matthew, what Jesus has basically done is he's basically been giving this master class on battling the enemy to his disciples. And now in the verses that we just read, he commissions these same disciples to join him on the mission, right? Now, one of the things, one of the, I would say, probably the biggest mistakes, if you will, that modern day disciples make is battling the wrong enemy. If you read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter six, Paul, he's using all this, you know, this warfare imagery, like in his wordings, right? And, and he warns the Ephesian Christians, people very similar to you and I, he warns them about not battling against the wrong enemy. Check out what he says in Ephesians chapter six, verse 11, and get the warfare imagery that he's writing here. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of who? the devil, and look what he says at verse 12. For our struggle, that word struggle, some translations say fight or battle, like a war, right? For our struggle, our fight, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. When it says rulers, it's not kind of talking about like earthly rulers. This is heavenly. See what it says? And you'll see it in just a second. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. 
So hear me. What, what Paul is warning these Ephesian Christians is he's saying, guys, the enemy is not other people. The enemy is, is sin, Satan, and his kingdom of darkness. It, and I just feel like it's important for us to acknowledge something. Like, oftentimes, I, we battle against the wrong enemy. Oftentimes, we believe the lie that our enemy is other people instead of the evil, dark forces that maybe are influencing or tempting them to behave in a certain way. And whenever we view other people as the enemy, guess what? We're being deceived by the real, true enemy. And we're losing ground in the war. Um, For some of you, like, hear me, please, I'm, I'm... for something like your spouse is not your enemy. Your mean neighbor is not your enemy. Your coworker who drives you crazy is not your enemy. Maybe a little closer up your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, they're, they're actually not your enemy. The enemy is not other people. So Jesus, he commissions his disciples to join him in his mission. What's his mission? To overthrow the real enemy, the kingdom of darkness. Are you tracking with me? All right. Now, because of that, there's several implications that we gotta be aware of, okay? The first one, if you're taking notes, is this. Discipleship and God's mission cannot be separated. Discipleship and God's mission cannot be separated, okay? We talk about this all the time. A disciple, it means learner. A disciple is someone who's learning. It's a process, right? We, 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 we see victories and defeats, but it's a, it's a process. A disciple is someone who's learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life, okay? And Jesus is on a mission, right? We covered it in Matthew chapter nine. We're talking about it today, right? His mission. And he says that, hey, listen, this harvest of, of, of rescuing people out of, a, of a, the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into his kingdom, this harvest is abundant, but the, the workers are few. And so he calls his disciples to himself, right? He gathers his troops. He gives them their mission to join him in this war against darkness. Um, one other thing about that documentary that Netflix documentary on World War II, one of the most chilling scenes, I think it's like six episodes, and I forget which episode it is, but one of the most chilling scenes from this documentary is they, they interview a kamikaze survivor. Um, if you're not familiar with like kamikaze warfare, it's basically a suicide mission. Um, it's kind of what happened on September 11th, right? So you'd have pilots, they'd be given an order, and that order would be a suicide mission with their, treating their plane like a missile at whatever their target is. And so the Japanese used that as a strategy in World War II, and they were actually pretty effective. And there's the, the, they interview a kamikaze survivor, which is just wild to me. And the guy's story is, um, <clears throat> you know, he's on the mission, he gets the order, he's on the mission, and um, in route to him, flying his plane into one of the aircraft carriers, he gets shot down. And so he ends up like in the ocean, out of his plane, 
and the American troops gather him up out of the ocean, take him as a prisoner of war. But he says something that kind of gave me goosebumps when I heard him say it, because he's, de- he's describing um, just the fear associated with receiving that kamikaze order. But this is what he says. He goes, I was a soldier. Soldiers obey orders. A, a soldier says yes to the mission from their commanding officer. Friends, hear me. So does a disciple. So does a disciple. If a soldier opts out of the mission, they cease being a soldier, right? In the same way, if a disciple opts out of the mission, they cease being a disciple. Because discipleship and God's mission cannot be separated. And if I'm candid with you, this is one of the most difficult things about pastoring. Not only do I see it in my own life, but I see it in the lives of people that I love and I care about. It's this idea of like God's mission being treated like more of a suggestion than an assignment. Seeing people identify as a Christian while opting out of the mission. It's, it would be like a soldier who, man, they look sharp in that uniform. They wear it well. That's what, they like to be around other troops, you know? But the way they live is essentially saying no to the mission of God. Hear me. Life can get busy, huh? The next thing you know, your schedule can be totally filled and not filled with awful things, filled with good things, filled with things that are like life-giving for you, beneficial for others. Like, I'm not throwing shade, man. Like, we live in a society, we live in a culture that has conditioned us to fill our calendars at great cost to our health, at great cost to our bank accounts, at great cost to us as human beings. I'm no different than you guys, but the way we live, saying no to the mission of God because we're busy, or that's just for like the, the Christian leaders, that's for your gospel community leader, that's for, that's for the pastors, that, that mission of God stuff, that's, that's kind of for, that's kinda for the, the leader people. There's no JV Christians though. Or maybe the one that I think I, I fall into the most, and maybe you, can, maybe you can relate, is like, this other mission is really enticing. It's actually really pleasurable. I, I, I want to devote my time and my energy and my money to, to this mission. Because it, it just sounds better to me. But hear me. Discipleship. Like real discipleship. It can't be separated from God's mission. Because we talk about this too, like the church isn't an event, right? We're not at church, right? The church, it's not an event, it's people. It, and more specifically, the church is disciples. People saying yes to the mission of God together. That's what the church is. Um, Alan Hirsch, he's a 
church leader, author, I love the language that he uses. Um, He says, it's not so much that the church has a mission, it's that God's mission has a church. Think about that. It's not so much that the church has a mission, it's that God's mission has a church. And so I want to ask you the question that I feel the Spirit's been asking me this whole week as I've been prepping this message. Are you saying yes to God's mission for your life? I know most of you in the room, and in many ways you are, and it's beautiful. Sacrificial, hard, laying down your lives to you know, grow and shape your kids, sacrificially pursuing the benefit of other people and love, like in many ways you are, and it's beautiful. But might there be areas where you're not? So often we treat the mission of God like it's a suggestion and not an assignment. But friends, discipleship and the mission of God, they can't be separated. All right, next, I want you to check out who Jesus chooses to join him on his mission, all right? What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna kind of go through these list of 12 disciples and I wanna give you just a little bit of background because I want you to to like personalize this. These were real people. I think so oftentimes we can kind of approach the Bible as like a story and myth and like, these are real, real people. All right, let's start with Peter and Andrew. The first one's listed there. These guys are brothers. They're blood brothers, okay? They're professional fishermen. So they're in the working class. These guys are probably strong. They're probably dirty, okay? Now, they're brothers, they're professional fishermen, and they're both from this town, Bethsaida. Bethsaida was basically just a small fishing village, okay? What the word Bethsaida actually means, that means house of fishing, where people live to fish, okay? So that's Peter and Andrew, these brothers, these fishermen. Then you have James and John, the next two guys that are listed there, the next two disciples. They're brothers too, biological brothers. They too are professional fishermen. They too are from the same small village, the same small town. And it says that they're sons of Zebedee. Zebedee's their dad. He owns the fishing business, okay? So these guys, again, working class folks. Next up, the next guy on the list is who? Philip, great answer. Philip, he's also from Bethsaida. So this same small town. So we have five of these 12 disciples from this same nowhere town, Bethsaida, all right? Now, the interesting thing about Philip is that's a Greek name. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, okay? With intentionality. That Greek name would have given, he would have most likely spoken Greek. He would have been able to communicate with other Greek-speaking people, all right? There's some benefit there. The next guy, Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. Bartholomew, he's the first guy that's not from Bethsaida. He's from a different hometown. His hometown is Canaan. Cana, right? If you remember, does anybody remember what happened at Cana? Something spectacular happened at Cana. Bible trivia. There we go. Well done, Chris Taylor. That's where Jesus' first public miracle. He, at a wedding, the wine runs out, and Jesus miraculously turns these huge vats filled with water into According to the Bible, probably the greatest tasting wine of all time, okay? Water into wine miracle. Cana, different than Bethsaida, kind of up in the hills, a little farther away from the Sea of Galilee. Now, the next disciple arguably has the best name of the bunch, Thomas, all right? Also known as Didymus, which means twin. 
Now, there's some debate among scholars around why was he called twin. Some scholars believe that he was an actual twin. Some scholars think that he, it's like a nickname. He just looked a lot like Jesus. I don't really know what I believe. I just like his name. The next guy, Matthew, also known as Levi. Matthew was a tax collector, right? It says it here in the passage. Uh, we've talked about this before, but I see some new faces. You've got to understand the context for what a tax collector was back in the day. It wasn't just like an IRS agent. Okay, nobody likes the IRS. It was way worse than that. These tax collectors were Jewish people that basically were like traitors. The, 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 the Romans were occupying the Jewish people and they weren't, they weren't leading with a bunch of grace and forgiveness and love and mercy. They were, they were tyrants, man. They were tough. And the Jewish people didn't like that. And so what would happen is, is the, Rome, the Romans, they would essentially hire people amongst the people, some Jews, and they would hire them to collect the taxes for Rome. And what would happen is the Romans would tax heavily and those tax collectors would tax on top of the tax of their very own people. So the, the, the Jewish people, they, 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 they had disdain for the tax collectors. That's this guy, Matthew, okay? The next guy listed there, James, son of Alphaeus. The reason it says son of Alphaeus is because there was a previous James already listed, right? You gotta be able to tell the difference between the two. Now, here's the thing about James, son of Alphaeus. We basically know little to nothing about this guy's past, okay? The next guy listed there, Thaddeus. Thaddeus is actually this guy's surname, so his last name. His first name is Judas. Not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, who we'll get to in a second, who was the betrayer of Jesus, betrayer of the disciples, right? Sold them out for for some money. The reason that he goes by Thaddeus is because it would sort of be like if your name was Adolf, pre-World War II, uh, stuff goes down, there's a, there's a stigma with that name. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna call him Thaddeus. We're not going to call him Judas, okay? That's what's going on here. Then you have Simon the Zealot. What a zealot was, was it was a faction of the Jewish people, and these people were radical, okay? That the, what they wanted to do is they wanted to violently overthrow the Roman occupation of the Jewish people, okay? So these would be like your hardcore patriots, like, Simon the Zealot would have stormed the capital. Like, he's that guy. Like, he's, he's going to fight back. He, he, if there's any sense of, like, I don't agree with this, I want to get violent about it. And he, the, this faction of Jewish people wanted to do that with the Roman government. They hated Rome, okay? So think of the special hatred that Simon the Zealot for, would have for somebody like Matthew the tax collector. His enemy, Rome. And this guy, Part of, my, part of my people sold us all out for my end. Serious hatred, right, for Matthew. And then finally, the last one listed there, everybody's favorite, Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of Jesus. Um, there's some things about, this is kind of a digression, but I'm gonna do it anyway. There's some things about Judas that have always fascinated me. Like, like the rest of these 12 disciples, he was selected by Jesus. Like the rest of these 12s, 12, it says he was given authority. 
Jesus gave Judas authority to engage in the mission. Just like the rest, Jesus commissioned Judas to join Jesus and his other disciples in God's mission to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. The reason it fascinates me is because God's sovereignty fascinates me. Like, I mean, it's a whole different sermon, but I don't know, maybe some of you this morning, maybe you just need to be comforted by the reality of God's sovereignty for just a second. I want to camp out here. I think there's something on this. The reality of God's sovereignty, him being over it all. God's mission to overthrow darkness in you and around you, to redeem, to renew, right? Like, hear me, it cannot be stopped. What the enemy means for evil, God means for good, right? Some of you need to be comforted with the reality that God literally produces good out of any bad situation. Okay, so Jesus, he chooses these 12 disciples, right? So you have five fishermen from a small fishing village. You have a tax collector who would have been hated by the rest of the crew, for sure. You have a zealot who, like, the tax collector to the zealot is like the blood is to the crypt. There's, like, serious animosity. Why would, why would Jesus put a tax collector with a zealot. It sounds foolish to me. If you're building your team, if you're a general gathering your troops, selecting your troop before you commission them out, why would you put a tax collector with a zealot? One commentator says this, quote, people who hate each other can learn to love each other when they both love Jesus. Jesus is serious about overthrowing the kingdom of darkness, not just out there, but in here. Maybe some of you in your life, you have some tax collectors or some zealots that are frustrating you, that are in relatively close proximity to you, people that you're like, if you're honest, there's like hatred in your heart for them. Real talk, maybe they're even in this room. People that you're like, I just, I'd prefer to avoid this person for a plethora of reasons. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus put them in your life for a reason. Maybe, just maybe, he put them in your life to teach you more and more and more about what his love is actually like and how satisfying it is to experience, to give and to receive that kind of radical love. Not based on performance, not based on, oh, we see things completely eye to eye, but in the midst of difference, in the midst of conflicting interests. So rounding out the crew, you have a sketchy dude who would go on to betray them, and you have four other guys who are basically nobodies. Like, I tried as best I could to find the history of these 12 guys, and most of them, it's like, here's their name, here's their dad's name. 
They're nobodies. So chances are, based on the simplicity of this group of people, chances are that you and I, we can identify with one or more of these disciples. And I think that's the point. I think the reason why Jesus chose the people he did was because they had some things in common. One of them that they had in common was none of these guys were a big deal. None of them. Matthew would have had wealth, but it would have been like scandalous wealth. He wouldn't have been a big deal. His wealth came from basically cheating out his fellow countrymen. None of these guys were a big deal. Simply put, these are ordinary people, okay? But that wasn't the only thing that these guys had in common. If you read the New Testament, you will find out that every single one of these guys is a complete mess. They blow it, they mess up, they screw up, they sin. Judas, I mean, yeah, Judas really screws up. Peter, you want to look at Peter's life story, denies Jesus multiple times. All these guys were a mess. And hear me, these are the disciples that Jesus chooses. These are the disciples that Jesus chooses to join him on his mission to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. So listen to me for a second. Maybe your life is imperfect. Maybe your life, if you're honest, is just a little bit messy. Inside, outside, maybe you don't have all your stuff together. Maybe you're just not that big of a deal. Maybe you're just ordinary. If that's you, please hear me. You are exactly who Jesus wants on his team. You're the one that he picks. Listen to me. Jesus said, I came for the sick ones. I came for those who are in need of a doctor. It's not the people who are super healthy that have all their stuff together that need saving. Because I didn't come for them. I came for the ones who are sick and they know it, the poor in spirit. Can I just encourage you with the gospel before I call? Actually, Mark, will you come up now? Can I just encourage you with the gospel? Like if you're honest with yourself and you're like, I'm actually just not that impressive of a person. I try to put the face on. I curate my social media so it looks like I live this spectacular life. But in reality, your inner world is not all that put together. Maybe you're just ordinary like me and like several other people in the room. Hear me. That's exactly who Jesus is after. You are who he would pick on his team to join him in his mission to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. And how did he do it? We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. He does it by capturing your heart. He does it by proving himself trustworthy. He does it by laying down his life. He does it by living the perfect life that you don't and that I don't and and willingly taking the punishment for the ways that you and I fall short. He does it with love. And when you see him clearly, it does. It captures your heart and you'll go, 
yes, Lord. Whatever you say is gonna be best. Whatever mission you wanna send me on is way more important than any mission that I could contrive for myself. But the problem that we face as people is that we fantasize. We fantasize about achieving certain things or, 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 or like acquiring certain things. And so we set ourselves off on these missions to live a life that Jesus is going, you're actually not gonna experience fulfillment living for that mission. There's this other mission that is, it's really important because what's at stake is not just your pleasure. What's at stake is the soul of other created beings made in God's image who have eternal worth and value. You, me, your friends, your neighbors, your family. Listen, I'm gonna close with this. I want you to consider something, okay? According to Google, which if you don't trust Google, sorry, they're not always trustworthy, but according to Google, 2.38 billion people today identify as a Christian. 2.38 billion people. Like, can we just all acknowledge that's a lot of people. Um, that's 30% of the world's population. Now, I just want you to consider something. I want you to consider going from 12 to 2.38 billion people. 12 to almost a third of the planet. That, that doesn't even count all the Christians who are no longer living. That 2.83 billion is just people who are alive today. Hear me, these disciples minus Judas, they are some of the most influential people who have ever lived. Think about that. Like, they make Taylor Swift look like a, who, who? Michael Jordan, who? Guys, these 12 minus Judas, they literally changed the world. If I hear another tech CEO be like, our mission is to change the world, I'm like, you got nothing on these. Like, they literally changed the planet. And they were ordinary people. Please understand, if you don't hear, if you don't hear me say anything today, please hear me say this. God does extraordinary things with ordinary people. God does extraordinary, world-changing things with ordinary people like you and like me. But there's a key. The key is letting him lead you. The key is setting aside other missions, no matter how enticing they may be, and saying yes to God's mission. The big moment missions and the small moment missions. Every, dozens and dozens and dozens of missions every day you're alive. All of them under the umbrella of overthrowing the kingdom of darkness. Guys, do you have any idea the potential that's inside of you? 
Like, I'm not trying to get all health wealth on you right now, but listen to me. Do you have any idea how the potential that is literally inside of you? Jesus does. That's why he makes the choices that he makes. But hear me, your full potential is only realized when you let God lead you. That's what the mission's all about. It's about yielding to a different Lord, a different commanding officer who gives assignments, specific assignments, broad assignments, all of them dealing with overthrowing the kingdom of darkness. Hear me, not just around you, but inside of you, like he does with zealots who want to kill tax collectors. You with me? The mission of God is not just out there, it's in here. And to the degree that we will yield to the Lordship of Jesus is to the degree that we will experience more and more and more and more the potential inside of us, the potential that he created us with to do glorious, spectacular things that result in an increase of love on the planet, an increase of pleasure between you and God and you and people and real love and real pleasure, not fleeting love, not fleeting pleasure, eternal Some of you just need to zoom out this morning. Some of you, 2024 is a a zooming out kind of year. Like I'm just getting caught in the rat race. I'm getting caught in the everyday thing. Reset. Like God himself inviting you into his mission to renew, to redeem, to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. So the question I have for you is the same question I have for me. Will we say yes? When when, When Jesus gathers his troops Hey, you guys all have, you guys put on the the uniform? Great, come on. Hey, here's the mission. What are we gonna do when we're confronted with the Lordship of Jesus? What are you gonna do when Jesus is like, hey, I wanna be Lord over your relationship with your coworkers. I wanna be Lord over how you relate to your spouse. I wanna be Lord, I wanna be commanding officer over how you parent. I wanna be commanding officer over your wallet or your time, or your energy, or your health, or your body over all of it, over your sexuality, over everything. I wanna be Lord over it, not to harm you, but so that you will realize the full potential that I placed inside of you to be just like me. Holy, beautiful, set apart, filled with love, compassion, moving out towards the world the way that Jesus has moved towards you. Are you with me? It's a war. And so oftentimes the war, the battle, it happens here. And it happens here. I'm gonna ask you to stand if you're able. Here's what I wanna do. Uh, If you're on the prayer team this morning, would you come forward, please? Here's what I wanna do. It might sound cliche, but I think there is something to a new calendar year and us like, as individuals, as households, as a household of faith, like really, I don't know, like pressing pause for a moment and assessing where we are and where our commanding officer, our Lord, the good shepherd wants to lead us. And hear me, if you live a life of letting God lead you, you will live a spectacular world-changing life. People will... People will speak at your funeral and go, my life and the world is better because of this person. 
And I want, I want that for us. I like, I know it sounds cliche. I know it sounds lame, but there's a reality that God created us for greatness. He created us for glory. And not that we would rob Jesus of glory, but that we would be caught up in the transforming glory and grace and love of Jesus. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pray for us um, before we get into a time of, of response, where we're gonna respond by praising him. There's trusted men and women that are gonna make themselves available to you to pray. If you have any desire, you're feeling like, man, I'm not sure where Jesus might be leading me in this season, or I, I feel like he's leading me here, but now I'm starting to doubt some things, or I just need some guidance, or I just need some confirmation for what I'm doing or whatever. I need some encouragement. I want you to receive prayer. But before I, I kind of release you to do that, I wanna pray for our church. I wanna pray that we, that for this year, that it really would be a year of us pressing more and more into God's mission for each one of us. What does he want? What is he up to? What are the specific ways that he wants to push back and overthrow the kingdom of darkness in us and around us? And maybe even among us. Maybe you're in conflict with somebody in this room and you, you need to practice forgiveness together because you've been forgiven. Maybe there's like um, a, a, a void of appreciation of you communicating love to someone in your household or in your gospel community for ways that God has loved you through this person. Maybe there's some unifying things that God wants to do. Maybe he wants to push back the kingdom of darkness of like insecurity. Maybe there's people in your life that you, for whatever reason, they just, they, like they, they, prick your heart where you feel insecure around them for whatever reason and it's, it's, it's causing division. Wherever, I, I want us to be the kind of people that are open-handed, friends, where we go, Jesus, whatever you want. Where do you want to lead? Where's, where are you highlighting you want, to, you want your mission of overthrowing the kingdom of darkness in my life, in my community, in my household? What I want to do is I want us to posture ourselves in humility, ask God to speak, and then when he does, act in faith. So if you, if you would, I want you to pray with me. Go ahead and close your eyes, not to be overly spiritual, but just to kind of focus and minimize distractions. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak. We don't want to be people who just wear the uniform. We want to be people who say yes. Yes, Lord, you know best. Your mission is best. It's the only mission worth living for. And it's not just the big things. It's not just moving to Madagascar to preach the gospel, although it certainly is that. Sometimes it's the simple things. Father, thank you that you're committed to your mission to overthrow the kingdom of darkness inside us, among us, and around us. I ask that you'd highlight specific things that you want us to experience salvation from, freedom. Maybe even some areas in the lives of people close to us. Produce love in us, Jesus. Produce love in us, Jesus. Help us to see your love for us more clearly so that it, that same love bubbles up in us and comes out through us. I guess my prayer, it's just feeble, Lord. It's simple. I just, I want us to be a people. I, let it start with me. I want us to be people 
who live a life on your mission, joining you, participating with you, taking you up on your invite to overthrow the kingdom of darkness and experience in ever-increasing ways the kingdom of heaven here and now and for eternity. Lead us, we pray. Amen. All right. So we have, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes-ish. Um, and what we're going to do for the remainder of this time is we're going to respond in one of two, two ways, either as a priest offering praises, delivering praises, gratitude, singing. God loves it when, when you sing. Singing to him because he's worth it. And he's wonderful and he's kind and he's faithful and he's never ending, rich in mercy. Or as a patient, I need some help. I need some guidance. I need some insight. I need some clarity. I feel like God's highlighting this specific area of darkness, but either in my life, around my life, among my life that he wants to overthrow. And I I need guidance from the good shepherd directly on, on what the next steps for me to take are. There's trusted men and women who would love to pray for you. You can come up at any time. And then Herrick will close us here in just a little bit, okay? Love you guys. Let's enjoy Jesus together.